0: This morning, I'm going to continue going in a series that we've been spending time in at Youth Group. Students, we are going through the what series? Minor Prophets, yes, good. So, I don't know if you've ever heard a sermon from Obadiah, but I had to give one two weeks ago. That was a journey, let me tell you. But I'm an Old Testament guy, so all of that's fun for me. So, last week, we finally got to the book of Jonah. Jonah, great story in the prophets. And so, this morning, I'm going to continue in that series because I don't want to lose a week in that series because it's going to take us a long time to get through 12 minor prophets, trust me. But so, as we continue through Jonah, they've been spoiled with a lot of background from last week. You're coming in cold, I'll catch you up as best I can. But so before we jump into Jonah 1 this morning, let me set the stage. So, back when I lived at my mom's house, we had a garage, I don't have a garage now. I live in an apartment. It's really sad. But we had a great garage. And you know how you have those like, clicker remotes that you like, put to the, sun, the little sun visor on your car? You click it, lets you in the garage, puts the door up and down. It's great. Well, sometimes I was pretty forgetful as a young adult learning how to drive. And so one time I forgot to actually put the door down. And my mom was seething because I left the door up after I left for like three hours. Thankfully, no one did anything or took anything from our garage. But it, I got scolded when I came home after that because my mom was the one who found the door open and me not there. But then what happened, every time I would go to leave in my car somewhere, I would like be petrified that I would forget to put the garage door down because I did not want to get scolded by my mother again. But the thing was, I was so quick and conditioned with what I was doing when I was just opening the garage door, backing out of the driveway, hitting the button, and off I went. I never remembered if I actually did it or not. You know the feeling when you, d- you do something on autopilot, and because you've done it so many times, you just forget that you actually did it. It's like you weren't even conscious or there in that moment. So I would have done it, as the second I get in the car start driving down the road, I'm like, oh no, did I put the door back down? And so I look and try and look up the road at my house and I can't see it. I'm like, no, I'm not sure. So I would circle the block all the way back to my house and then I would look and almost every time the door is still down. I'm like, I did, I did it. I just forgot because it's so easy when we do something all the time consistently to forget that we are actually doing it, right? On your morning commute to work. How many times have you forgotten after the 10, 15 minutes it takes to get there? You don't remember the 10 to 15 minutes you spent in the car getting to work. It just went by like nothing happened, right? We have this amazing human ability to simply forget or be asleep to where we actually are and what we're actually doing. And the reality is, a lot of us live our lives lives on autopilot. You go to work, through the motions, at the office, at the garage. You come home, you grab dinner, you do whatever cleaning you do, or you don't do cleaning and you get yelled at, like me. (laughs) You get in, get in some comfy clothes. You hop in the Disney Plus, Netflix, Hulu, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, candy crush feed that you decide to get in for the next, you know, few hours after work, and you just turn your brain off because you want to put yourself to sleep. Or you need to catch the next show. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Don't act like you don't. And if you're a tiny bit spiritually awake, maybe at some point in the day, you took time to hop in the Word, pray, maybe 30 minutes, but it probably pales in comparison to the three hours you spent on social media or streaming some sort of show that day. We like to live our lives unconscious more than we do conscious. And that is what Jonah is going after in this first chapter. He calls out the simple truth that it's a lot easier to be spiritually, emotionally, physically asleep than it is to be spiritually awake and obedient to what God has for you. So, the title of my message this morning is A Disease of Z's. That's bad. (laughs) I had many other titles to work with. That's what I landed on. I don't know why I thought it was great, but I did. (laughs) Right? This disease of disease. This is the decision to be asleep when we need to be awake. Y'all with me this morning? All right. So we'll be in the first chapter of Jonah all morning. If you have your Bibles, feel free to flip it open and keep it there. I will tell the story and be reading intermittently throughout. But uh, I need to set up a little bit of that tale for you before we get there. Listen, Jonah has this curse because it's a book we've read so many times, or we've heard childhood retellings of this story, right? You think Jonah and the whale, okay, it's a fish, but it's fine, right? You hear about Jonah and the whale all the time, or when I say the book of Jonah instantly, you're like, ah, Larry the cucumber, there he is, Bob the tomato, it gets veggie, it's the veggie tales effect. When a common biblical story has been like, Taken over by children's media, it kind of actually distorts the message of the story itself. Not that they're doing a terrible job, but the simple thing is, you can't boil down the book of Jonah into a simple book of, ah, uh, simple moral truth. Don't be a bad person. There's a lot more going on in the book of Jonah than that. So we have to get over the fact that the book is not about the fish or whale, as you might still think about it. The whale fish. It's fish. I'm just going to start saying fish. We cool with that? Goodness. Dog in Hebrew is the word for fish. The fish is in three verses in the entire book of Jonah. There are 48 verses in the entire book. You do the math. The fish is hardly a key player in the story. Like the fish just shows up, swallows him, spits him back out. We get nothing else. (laughs) The fish isn't what's important. There is a lot more that's important in the story. I'm just gonna give you my bullet points. I have like six of them, it's quick and easy, for what you need to know before we get into the story of the book of Jonah. First, Jonah is full of wit and satire. It's a satirical writing, right? I'm thinking of like Babylon Bee headlines. Oh, I read some good ones last week and they all laughed at me, it was great. right? It's like almost a comic book-esque. No one, not one character, behaves the way they are supposed to behave in this entire story. The book is full of hyperbole. A lot of things are repeated to get the point across by the narrator. And most importantly, this book is about Jonah. It is not about the words of Jonah, to be clear. Jonah's sermon in this book is five words in Hebrew. There are four whole chapters just about the prophet. This is the only prophetic book that is about the prophet and not about the words of the prophet. Does that make sense? There's only one character in this story that we are supposed to identify with, and it's Jonah. And that's hard, because Jonah isn't a good prophet. He's not a prophet that we should want to emulate or spend time with, other than learning from his miscues. So let me hop in real quick, and we'll just keep rolling through the story this morning. So Jonah 1-1-1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai. All right, I got to pause. In Hebrew, this is a good line. Everyone that would have heard this when it was read would have started laughing. Because the name Jonah means dove. Dove is a symbol of innocence. All All right, innocent, son of Amittai, which means faithfulness. All right, there's the Hebrew laugh track. Dove, son of faithfulness. The most unfaithful prophet in the Bible, it's satire. Like, it's a joke. The point of calling him this and naming him this way is because the author wants us to catch on to the simple truth. The Jonah is neither of these things, right? Satire. Okay, then in verse 2 and 3. Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah, good old faithful dove right here, he's going to head down to Joppa, flee to Tarshish, right? He's going to go, Nineveh's east, He's going to go south, then he's going to go west. And his goal is to get so far west that God can't find him because his goal is to flee from the presence of the Lord. Now, we're quick to want to defend Jonah here because Nineveh, right, capital of the Assyrian Empire. If you know anything about the ancient Assyrians, they are bad dudes, like bad. This is one of the worst empires to ravage the ancient Near East during these times before Christ. The Assyrians, they would conquer a place and then they would take the leaders of the conquered land into the public squares of Nineveh and they would flay them alive in public. So instantly, all of us are like, oh, okay, maybe it makes sense that Jonah's a little bit afraid. But the second you start making excuses for Jonah is the second the authors got you. Because you make excuses for not being obedient to God every day, every week, just like I do. Jonah is holding up this mirror to us saying, as soon as you condemn me, you condemn yourself. The book of Jonah is literally just a series of getting socked in the gut again and again because you look at Jonah, you want to have like this loving eyes for him. Oh, he's fine. It's really hard. But you're just trying to coddle yourself. Listen. Listen. It's a whole lot easier to be afraid than it is to obey. We make excuses so we don't have to be used by God in our daily lives. I could camp there for a while, but we need to keep going. All right, verses 4 and 6, and you're like, okay, Pastor David, just punch me in the gut and run from it. Sorry. But the Lord hurled a great wind across the sea. There's a mighty tempest, so the ship, it says threatened, right? A lot of translations say threatened to break up. It's actually a bad translation, in my opinion. It literally means thought. So your ship, <laughs> here in verse 4-5, it's like, hmm, am I going to let the storm destroy me today? It's like comic book-esque, right? The ship apparently is sentient and has thoughts. No, ships don't have thoughts. But it brings across the point. This is uh, hyperbole, satire, it's witty, it's humor. Right? Continuing in verse 5. And the sailors were afraid, and each cried out, to his own God. If you've ever heard of a sailor who's like MO1A, was to all of a sudden call out to God in the initial. I've never met a sailor that would do that initially. And so they hurled the cargo, the most precious thing to a sailor. Why would a sailor offload his cargo? Like, yo, these. Like, have you seen Pirates of the Caribbean? You're telling me that they would get rid of their booty? Like, nah, 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 nah. So Jonah in this ship, hey, at least he paid the fare to get on the ship, okay? Like, we got to give him some credit here. That's the only credit, though. So the captain, he goes down to sleep in the bottom of the ship, and the captain comes down and says to him, what do, you, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. I think it's interesting. In verse 6, right, the captain says, arise. That's the same thing God said to Jonah in verse 2. Arise. And in verse 2, Jonah just arises so he could split town. I'm like, I'm like, Jonah, have you read Psalm 139? Even if you make your bed in Sheol, like, he going to get you? He going to be there? Like, you can't, you think, you think the Atlantic Ocean is going to protect you from Yahweh? You best check yourself. Like, no, no, no. Right? They both say arise, and this is interesting because Jonah doesn't listen to the command to arise from God, and he doesn't listen to the command to arise from the sailor. He doesn't get up in pre- He just gets up, sort of. The narrator just kind of leaves it there. But there's this other pattern of repetition here in Jonah chapter 1. It's a pattern of descent, actually. Notice, Jonah goes down to Joppa. You could just, just head south, but go down to Joppa, Right? He goes down into the ship, and they even make a point to say into the deepest parts of the ship. He lays down, then he goes down into a deep sleep. You see the trend. Jonah is putting himself to sleep in life because he's trying to drown out the word that God has given him for the people of Nineveh because it is easier to be afraid than it is to obey. It is easier to live a life asleep than it is to live a life awake. Jonah is straight up spiritually asleep. And listen, guys, we do the exact same thing. We do. It's easy, it is easy to come to church for an hour or two every week. Maybe maybe you serve for three, four hours a week if you're this next level Christian or a team life member, right? <laughs> Gotta honor the pipeline, everybody, right? Maybe, maybe you serve. But what do you do in the other six days? There's a lot of time in a week, and there's a lot of time to put yourself to sleep and live off mission. Are you awake? Now, you could be asleep during my sermon. I can be boring, but are you spiritually awake? Let me hop into verse seven here, and, they, and the sailors they're saying to come, uh, one another, All right, "Let's let's cast lots. Ancient dice rolling. That's what we got going on here. Let's cast lots so we know on whose account this evil's come." So they cast lots. They throw their dice. Lands on Jonah. And so these people ask him five questions or demand five things of him. And Jonah, groggy, I don't know why, he decides to answer two of their questions. He's like, "Mm, I am a Hebrew and I worship Yahweh, the maker of the seas and the dry land. All the sailors lost their minds. Wait a second, you tried to flee on a ship. From the God who created the seas. What part of you thought that was a good idea? Like, beyond the fact that Yahweh is omnipresent, they don't know him as that. But beyond the fact he's going to be there, you try to get away from a guy on the very thing he created. Like, nah, no. And even even if you get to the dry land, he made that too. Like, there's there's no logic to this. Like, how can these people get safe on dry land if he made that? And so... In verse 16, they say to him, oh, what should we do so that the sea calms down for us because it just got bigger, more tempestuous. That's what the ESV says. Goodness, tempestuous. That's a, that's a way to say tempest, goodness. It got more stormy. How's that sound? And he said to them, pick me up, toss me into the sea so it will be quiet for you. And I know it's me that has brought this tempest on you. Listen, Jonah's disobedience hurt those around him. Your disobedience hurts the people around you. The word you have for someone, but you just, you're too afraid to say it to them. The person you feel called to mentor, but you don't go up to them and call them up. The disciple that you feel like God has been gnawing at you to spend time with and take under your wing, but you don't do it. The person who wants to hide behind their white picket fence and their nice house in little suburbia Columbus, Ohio because it's a lot easier to do that than it is to pack up your coffin, head overseas as the missionary you might have been called to be, planning to die on the field. Are you afraid this morning? Are you being obedient? And so... The sailors' reaction is amazing. I don't have time to get into it all, but what the sailors do is they just try and row ashore. They can't beat through the ocean because yeah, it's funny. It says dug in, as if they're like digging the water out. It doesn't make any sense. It's fine, but so they're digging trying to get to dry land. And well, what's interesting? Their first reaction, these sailors, who you would think like who already did everything, we don't expect them to do. They threw the cargo overboard. They like let Jonah pay his fare, get on the ship. Like it's all good. They, their first reaction was not to throw Jonah overseas like he asked them to. The sailors' initial reaction is mercy, and I would argue that God honors the merciful reaction of the sailors when he shows mercy to them when they cast Jonah over the ship. And that's what they do. They plead for innocence from Yahweh, toss him over the ship, and then the storm stops. The fish comes swallows up Jonah. I said, we're not paying attention to the fish. He just swallows him up. We're good. But what's more interesting to me is that the men then feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to Yahweh and made vows. When they made sacrifices back then, that is a burnt sacrifice. This is a wooden ship. You do the math. If they were to offer a sacrifice on a wooden ship, come on, their ship would go up in flames. No! That means that these people made sacrifices after. After they got off the boat. The sailors are nothing what we expect. We actually see lasting transformation of them. But it is not because of Jonah. It is in spite of Jonah. It is easy to miss what the book of Jonah wants to convict us of. Because it is a book we are just so familiar with. But this story has power with us at every single turn. Every time you want to condemn Jonah, the Holy Spirit just digs at you and nudges you. And he's like, hey, you do that too. And so, this morning, like, I just want to share with you what I've been dealing with. So, like, listen, when you're you're planning an event like Fine Arts, you are busy. There is a lot going on, believe it or not. Trying to register, and, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll stop right there. (laughs) There's a lot you have to do. But over the last couple weeks, I found myself so quickly checking out of life. Everywhere I went... On Tuesday last week, as I'm driving into the office, 10 times I had to reset myself and be like, oh my gosh, my mind is just on this thought, on that thought. I need to come back to where I am because if I don't, I am going to miss everything that God has for me here and now. Because I'm trying to put myself to sleep spiritually because I am afraid of the event that is in front of me. And my fear is that there are people in this room that don't have the tools or skills to do that same recentering, So this is my simple challenge to you. I learned this really easy phrase. I'll put it on the screen for you. This prayer under my breath, Lord, help me to be here in this moment. Every time my mind went somewhere, I would just say, Lord, help me to be here in this moment. Because the simple truth is that God has something for you in each waking moment of your lives but you need to be there to experience it. And so, this week, even today, when you start to check out, would you use the simple weapon of prayer and say, Lord, help me to be here in this moment because you need to be there to receive what he has for you. Don't lose sight of that this week. Figure out why you're leaving where you are. Don't jump into the social media stream and jump into prayer and ask the Lord to bring you back let's pray this morning father i thank you so much for each and every person in this room and lord i just ask that those who are struggling with being centered keeping their mind their hearts their thoughts on you people that are struggling to live and be on mission lord would you help them to recenter around you and your purpose for their lives lord thank you for challenging us with students who aren't asleep so that we might recognize whether we are asleep or awake as well. Lord, would you bless these saints this day? In Jesus' name I ask these things. Amen. Saints, thank you for joining us this Fine Arts Sunday. Be careful what you watch. Be careful what you listen to. Be careful what you talk about. Savor the presence of Jesus. Have a great week, everyone.